Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching episode number 143 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and we have a bunch of games to talk about today, but we're going to jump right into the lead game here. Number four, Rutgers at number three. Maryland battle of the only undefeated teams left in the Big Ten went down at 3 p.m. on Saturday in College Park. Maryland wasted no time. They jump right out and score the first goal of the game, a tic-tac-toe goal just 28 seconds in. And then less than two minutes later, Rutgers sticks one on a break. Adam Charlem beaties. And I had a good feeling at this point, hey, this is going to be a pretty good game. We've got two goals right off the bat here, and it's one up and then it went back and forth like that through the first half 348 left in the second Maryland ties it up at sevens Matt Rayhill to Joshua Kaufman a pole to a short stick D mid goal in transition 37 seconds later we're still in the three minute area Jared Bernhardt scores unassisted to give the Terps the lead continues this back and forth that we've seen 131 left in the half freshman Shane Knobloch scores from David Sprock and now the Scarlet Knights have it tied back up and it looks like that hey, we might go into the half tied at eights but not so fast 28 seconds left in that second quarter. Adam Charlombidi scores again, this one unassisted off a nice dodge. And we're thinking Rutgers is going to have the lead in the half. Not so fast. Three seconds left in the half. Danny Maltz scores off a Wisnowskis feed, and now we're tied. Just absolutely crazy first half as, as things just went back and forth over and over and over again. But remember how interesting Hopkins kept things early in the game, or in the first half at least, against Maryland. Rutgers was able to hang for three quarters, but inevitably Maryland extended their 11-10 lead at the end of the third quarter to a 19-12 win because Maryland is really, really good at lacrosse, both on the offensive side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. Rutgers just couldn't keep up once we got into that that fourth quarter, and Maryland goes on, a, I think it was an 8-2 to two run over the course of that fourth quarter to just bury them at the, at the end of the day. Uh, scoring for Maryland, Jared Bernhardt, 6-1 and one on the day. So he's put himself, I had been talking, I might even said uh, in yesterday's live stream, that Jared Bernhardt was looking like, you know, the, the, the Tuartan race was kind of a two-man race. Let me change that right now, and I want to say the Tuartan race is now a three-man race because Jared Bernhardt has been playing like an animal so far. I don't know how I forgot him while I was making that point that it was really between Sowers and Gray, but you absolutely have to put Bernhardt in that equation, especially with the way that Maryland's playing and the way that he's kind of carrying them offensively. Daniel Maltz, four goals. Logan Wisnowskis, two and two. Kyle Long, three and one. Justin Shockey played well at the faceoff dot, 19 of 35. He picks up 12 ground balls. And Andy had a goal that his coach stole away from him. Tillman called a timeout at one point when Shockey stuck one. He called the timeout a little bit before he got down the middle and scored. You could tell Shockey was a little bit dejected there. Nick Grill, he con- he continued to play like one of the best defenders in the country. Two cause turnovers and three GBs and nine saves in cage for McNaney. Rutgers side, Kieran Mullins, three and two. Adam Charlombidi's four goals. David Sprock, two and two. Connor Kirst. 
Just two assists. He was limited quite a bit here in this game, so Maryland did a good job trying to bottle him up. They threw a lot of double teams at him early, and he did his job and got rid of the ball, but it ended up kind of disrupting, I think, that flow uh, that Rutgers had throughout the game. Colin Kirst, who really had to stand on his head in this game to keep Rutgers in it, he played well over the course of the first three quarters. Not incredible, but well, and then that fourth quarter was just a tough one. It was Overall, this was his roughest outing to date. Kirst ends up with seven saves, but he'll bounce back. He'll be okay. Maryland, though, that's a statement win for Maryland. We're trying to decide here who is the the upper echelon of the Big Ten, and everyone was kind of hoping that we were going to see this game finish the way that we saw the first three quarters go. It didn't go that way. Maryland proved that they are the upper echelon of the Big Ten by themselves. Rutgers is definitely right below them, and, and when they play again here at Rutgers later in the season, the tides could turn for sure. But right now, Maryland, they're uh, king crap here in the big. The next big game, another big 10 game here, was Penn State, number 12 Penn State at Johns Hopkins. Now, uh, this game was supposed to prove that Penn State was going to, you know, kind of run lead as the top team in the second tier of the Big Ten, but instead Hopkins, they get a big statement win and may, may have shown that Hop just needed some time to get together. They didn't have a fall ball. They had a late start in the spring, and maybe they just needed time to gel to get Joey Epstein back into the flow of things because right now they're looking good over the course of that Maryland first half where they looked really good offensively, and then in this Penn State game, they look good offensively through the whole thing. Penn State, they jump out to a quick early lead, two zip, but Hopkins answered and controlled the game through to the end. Cole Williams struck, nice dodge into the middle of the field. His move to midfield could actually prove pivotal. He he has to kind of figure that flow out there, but Cole Williams at midfield could end up being a big deal, especially if they keep getting him dodging down the middle of the field. Epstein, he stung one in transition, one of the best shooters in the country in terms of placement. The kid doesn't have smoke, but he knows how to burn shots past goalies nonetheless. D. Simone had a crazy rocker step that allowed Hopkins to keep rolling. He scored back-to-back-to-back unassisted goals for Hop as they took control of this game. And that's going to be a big deal for them because they need someone who can create. So D. Simone scoring unassisted goals is proof he can create and he can be that guy for him to anchor the attack. The story. This was one of Penn State simply having no answer and no flow offensively. They, they looked awful offensively. They scored those first two goals quick. Everyone's like, all right, giddy up. Penn State's continuing to roll, especially because Mac O'Keefe on that first goal of the game, he created for himself. He gets the skip pass over the top. He ends up in that kind of two-step, three-step dodge scenario where the help really isn't there yet because everybody was sloughed down to the opposite side of the field. So he does a hitch comes to the middle of the field, sticks one, and then T.J. Malone scored shortly after that. It looks like, ah, Penn State, I was right. Penn State, their offensive flow is better than Hopkins is going to be. Nope, that didn't end up being that uh, the case here. Third quarter was an absolute nightmare for Penn State as they hadn't even gotten a shot off late into the third at one point as Hopkins just continued to extend that lead. Joey Epstein mixed it up a bit this outing. He has two goals and two helpers. He had been really goal-heavy, so to see him split those stats, that's 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 good for him. Ended up with nine shots. He needs to be a little bit more efficient with his shots, but he's not a big burner, you know, so if he's not getting shots off in weird, unexpected situations, goalies are going to tend to kind of win a couple more battles with him, but he he does place his shot as well as anyone when he's got time and room and his hands free. Matt Naruski, he won 12 of 21 draws. Didn't light the world on fire, but it was enough to give Hopkins that possession edge uh, in terms of the faceoff dot, win the battle in between the boxes a little bit. So that was very good. And that's, you know, Arseri is a very capable faceoff man. I've always been real high on Arseri, and I don't know if Arseri's stats have always backed up how 
how much I've liked him as a faceoff guy, but Naruski, he he wins that battle and Hopkins ends up winning that game. Goalie battle was a wash. Both keepers stopped exactly 50% of their shots, I think, if I read that stat line correct. And then in the end, Hopkins just more solid on the offensive side of the ball. They look better offensively. Both teams had flashes defensively looking okay. Both goalkeepers had moments where they were okay. Like I said, in between the boxes, even though Hopkins had the edge, Penn State didn't look awful. Penn State just looked awful offensively. It was pretty pretty rough to watch, so they have to continue to improve there. And once again, don't count them out. We have, we, they're, they're going to just have to continue to play this conference schedule. So these, these are teams they, they're familiar with, and if they could ever just figure out that offensive flow, they're okay everywhere else. They just have to start scoring more goals consistently. That's all. Another great game that I watched was Hobart. At LIU, I expected Hobart to win this game almost in the exact same manner that LIU ended up winning this game. I figured Hobart would win by a one to three goal margin or so. I I had watched LIU earlier in the season, so I knew they were were a solid lacrosse club. I just didn't know they were this good. Hobart scored two early goals within the first 40 seconds of the first quarter, but that was the end of the the statesman's dominance in this game as it was mostly LIU in the driver's seat through to the end. Hobart was feisty, though. They kept things interesting. If you're a Hobart fan, it was interesting enough through this whole game that you never turned it off, for sure. LIU is clicking all over the field offensively. Richie La Calandra led the way with four goals and two assists. This kid can play. He ended up having a really nice backhanded goal at the... He gave LIU a lead at, at what was it? 14-9 lead at the 8:25 left to play mark. I think that was when he dodged up the left side and stung one as he just kind of came up the alley. But before that, he had a really nice goal where he kind of came up the right side left-handed and stuck a backhander. So that kid can play ball. He also had a man up or a, a fast break goal where he stung a corner early in the game. So watch out for this... Uh, what's his name? Richie... La Cal- Richie La Calandra. It's a cool name. Cool name, man. I'm trying. I'm trying. I might have butchered it a little bit, but LIU, Sean Bowl, four goals. Blake Bellin. I have a buddy named Bellin. One goal, two assists. And Will Snedlers. I think Snedlers is the big cat. Uh, LIU had this big kid that at one point, and I sure, I've already rolled the highlight, I think, of it, where he kind of dodged down the left alley, d- came up around the back, and then just bruised his way into the middle of the field. But he is a big boah for sure, but he has a, has a hell of a stick, so he looked pretty good too. Story of this game was Will Mark, LIU keeper, 24 saves versus just 12 goals against and a 67% save percentage. So when you're playing a two-goal game against an offensive threat like Hobart and you put up 24 saves, that's that's good enough to get you a win. So once again, I, I've been saying it over and over, you want yourself a, a player, uh, at least one player on your team that can win you a game when another unit isn't doing well. Well, Hobart I don't think the LIU defense played poorly. Hobart's just a really good offensive team. And this uh, keeper, Will Mark for LIU, 24 saves. That was absolutely huge. Hobart scoring. Uh, they look good. They, they had moments where they looked really good offensively, followed by lulls where they just couldn't get things going to just kind of keep pace with everybody. Hobart, Ryan Arch- Archer, one and three. Anthony Detellis, three goals. And then uh, Holtby for Hobart. He had 12 saves versus 14 goals. He's a good goalie, sophomore goalkeeper for Hobart. So he had a solid game. You know, he, he just wishes he had the 20 saves as opposed to his counterpart, Will Mark. So that ends up being the difference in this game, though. One goalie puts up 20-plus saves. The other just barely gets into double digits. That is the ball game. LIU wins. This leaves us with the question, though. Who is the best team in the NEC now? I figured it would end up being Hobart, Bryant, the Mount, just because of past seasons or whatnot. And now it's like we got um, Bryant definitely, I think, still 
kind of at the top here, but LIU is kind of sneaking up from lower aspects of being in this conference to, to being one of the better teams in this conference now. So I'll really be looking forward to that Bryant-LIU matchup. Number 20, Richmond. Whooped on number 23, or whooped on VMI 23 to 6, unranked VMI. I won't say much about this one other than Richmond needed a big win. I it, I feel like the teams that end up playing brutal schedules early in the season, they get brutalized. In this case, Richmond and High Point get brutalized by the ACC. So it's like, hey, Richmond gets a 23 to 6 win. It's worth mentioning because they were only 1 in 3, I believe it was, coming into this game. So they needed a win badly. A non-conference win, nonetheless. Dalton Young, seven goals for Richmond. Tyler Schultz, two and three for Richmond. And then Jacob Griffin. My stat line says he's 22 of 26 draws with 16 ground balls, but I saw somewhere in the College Across discussion forum that he was 24 of 28. So either way, he absolutely dominated the faceoffs for Richmond. Good sign for them. Another game. We've got non-conference matchup between Robert Morris and Air Force, and Robert Morris ends up pulling this one out by a goal. They both play pretty tough schedules early, so I end up talking about both of them. And same thing, you know, they play tough schedules, they get beat up. So when they start playing each other and they start getting into their, you know, closer to their conference play, I'd like to see how these guys end up doing because you got a team like Bobby Moe. I think this puts them at three and three after this one, and Air Force may have only won one game coming into this. Oh, I have it here. Air Force was one and three with losses to number 10 Denver, number one Duke, and number eight Virginia. Bobby Moe was two and three with losses to number one Duke, number 19 High Point, and number eight Notre Dame. So both of these teams just brutalizing themselves in the uh, preseason, or I say pre-conference games. Uh, so this one had a crazy ending, actually. Robert Morris controlled most of the game, and they jump out to a leads of 3-1, 4-2, 5-3, kind of just trying to keep that two-goal edge. And then they extend it to 9-3 by the half. Second half seemed like it was about to be more of the same. Robert Morris, they take a 14-6 lead with 10-28 left in the third. So they're just beaten up on Air Force. And then all of a sudden, Air Force is like, hey, we're Air Force. We're going to take this game over. They score the game's final seven goals, getting the game back to within two goals with 8-35 left in the fourth. Now we have a game on. But alas, they didn't actually get it back to one goal uh, to the point where they were legitimately threatening this ball game and to upend everything until one second left in the clock. You see a lot of these these games where the other team will score with like a second or three seconds left to get back to within a goal or two makes it look closer than it really felt as you were watching the game. But still, a great way, a good sign for Air Force to battle back and finally get things clicking. Kind of makes you a little sick if you're Air Force too to think, well, we could have been doing this the, the whole game. Jimmy Perkins, he leads all scorers in the day. Four goals, two helpers. Ryan Smith goes for three goals and two helpers. Difference in this game, Liam Rosenthal in cage for Robert Morris. 17 saves versus 30 shots faced for a 57% save percentage. In a one-goal game, that's the difference. Braden Host, he struggled, only had eight saves versus 22 shots faced. And he's a solid goalie, so that is a rough stat line for him, but Rosenthal for Robert Morris was a big key in this game, especially early on before Air Force started kind of going on that onslaught. He was real tough in cage. Because we didn't have a whole lot of D1 action yesterday, at least not worthy of talking about, we're going to get into some D2 action here. Wingate, they improved to 5-1 and one with a 20-8 to eight win over Anderson. 4-1 and one coming in. Their only loss was to Queens, I believe, if I'm correct here, and I think it was the previous game. Freshman keeper for Wingate, Casey Carlson, made 14 saves versus 21 shots in the win. And he, I was sitting here thinking, like, I mean, this kid, now I've mentioned his name twice, and I knew that he played well 
in both games because I think his overall save percentage is somewhere in the area like 67%. So I'm thinking this kid's their starting goalie, but the way it looks, he's only played two games. So I don't know if he had a lull. He played a game early in February or late in February, and then he plays this one in March. So it looks like there may have been a game or two where this uh, KC Carlson kid didn't play. So I'm not sure what happened there, but that kid looks to be a really solid keeper. Reese Orman, LSM for Wingate, ended up with four cost turnovers, five ground balls. That's one of the reasons I dig D2 and D3 lacrosse. You end up seeing weird stats stat lines out of defenders where it's you know a good a good game for a defender at the d1 level is two cause turnovers and three gbs if you're close d at the d2 and d3 level you end up seeing defenders that end up dominating a little bit more so five ground balls four cause turnovers that's a hell of a hell of a stat line for an lsm adam vadovnik for wingate he goes four and two bobby padden goes three and three they uh, take most of the ink in the scorebook. And then Anderson's Cam Weeks. And I mentioned Cam Weeks before for Anderson as well. 22 of 32 faceoffs. So despite the scoring disparity and the fact that Anderson got whooped up on, Cam Weeks goes 22 of 32. Um, saved his team from a worse beating. And I'm hoping that Cam Weeks doesn't play for Wingate, and I read that wrong. If, if that is the case, I apologize. But I'm pretty sure it did look like Weeks was actually playing for Anderson. Now I'm going to have to go back and look here before the end of the show. Next D2 game I wanted to talk about Queens. They're now 4 and 2 after running away from Mars Hill 20 to 12. Neilan Pillen 2 and 7, Quinn Talent 6 and 1. Alex Alonzo won 14 and 19 draws for Queens, picking up 10 ground balls in the process. Zach Kerrigan had 6 goals for Mars Hill Mars Hill in the loss. We end up with Lenore Ryan they're sitting at 5-1 and one after beating up on Tusculum. I've never even heard of Tusculum. There is some weird names and some obscure teams that end up popping up in Division Two. Lenore Ryan, though, they beat him 21-11. Nate Raymond and Kale Lawrence, they put each put up hat-tricks. And, and Lenore Ryan spread spread the scoring out all the way down the roster. You see 21 goals. You figure one kid had six points or seven points or something. Not so. Two kids with hat-tricks was the high score for Lenore Ryan. Noah Johnson, 10 saves in cage for LR and Zach Boudot, 13 of 16 draws. So that's that's pretty solid here. A little D3 action, and it's not really exciting D3 action because Salisbury beat Southern Virginia 30 to 10. Absolute waxing. It was ugly. Uh, there was nothing really to, to talk about outside of there was a kid uh, cross Ferrara or Ferreira for Salisbury. He scores 10 goals and has an assist in that win for Salisbury. So anytime you put up 10 goals, you're happy on that day. But it was kind of an absolute ass-kicking that Salisbury put up. So that was it. What we're going to do here, though, is because we had a short show today, because there was a little bit less action, we have a couple of solid games here, Duke and Jacksonville, and there's some other teams. I think UMass is playing for the first time today against Stony Brook. So I think you're going to get a bonus show for Monday out of this because we just didn't have quite as many games to talk about. So I'm going to merc this. Another new thing we're going to do, I'm all geeking out because I got a lacrosse reference pro account so now i can start talking a little bit more about their crazy analytics i didn't know they had a pro so I, i've kind of used them as a guidance to try to just gauge you know if i'm going to say that a team's good defensively i've been using their stats for a while to make sure that i'm not a dumb dumb and that their data actually matches with the words that be coming out my mouth and uh, but i got a pro i didn't know they had a pro so i got a pro account all sorts of crazy stats in there that break down players teams and the whole country conference stuff so We'll start talking about that stuff a little bit more, too. So come back tomorrow morning. Monday morning, we're going to do a bonus show. We'll talk about the Duke game and some other things. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com. Help us uh, help support the show by getting swag. We have that kind of T-shirt branded stuff. We have non-branded stuff. We have 
shorts. We have new shorts coming. It's just taking a while to get them designed and get them printed. So you can do that. Be sure to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I kind of broke today and I was supposed to do the intro after the Maryland segment and I totally forgot. I'm going to kind of try to go right into the first game that we want to talk about, kind of the game of the week. Jump right into it right off the bat. I'll do the intro in between the first segment and the second. Totally screwed the pooch on that today. So normally I would be like, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Uh, Didn't get that in. So that's it. That is today's show. Short show. Come back tomorrow, though. Bonus show for Monday morning. Uh, Should be out early in the morning, though, probably somewhere around 9 a.m., if not before that. So come back. You'll get a bonus show Monday, and then we'll be back again, as always, Wednesday, and then back again on Saturday for the live stream at 10 a.m. Every weekend, we do that live stream at 10 a.m. on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com forward slash laxfactor, or we throw the link up on Twitter before we kind of go live every weekend, so you can hit us up there. And we're trying to expand. If you're a Twitter person, go to twitter.com forward slash laxfactor. Follow us there. If you're an Instagram person, go to instagram.com forward slash laxfactorpodcast. And, uh, and all that Facebook kind of sucks. So I'm not even going to drop Facebook. So that's it. I'm rambling. Hoost is going to get the hell out of here. And I'm going to watch a uh, Duke beat up on Jacksonville today in sunny Florida. Thanks for watching. I'm out.